Really? That video must be good, or you just love seeing people get hit by a baseball in the head. <laughs> Either way, I'm a little scared. All right. Hey, by the way, my name is Todd. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to welcome everybody, um, for those of you who are sitting in here and those in the overflow. And I'd also like, for those of you who are brand new, I just want to give kind of a welcome. We actually have two locations. We're one church, two locations, and we have a prison campus. So if you guys would, let's give a big round of applause for all the guys at the RCMU unit. Thank you guys for being here. So if you missed these last two weeks or you've been here these last two weeks, I'm going to kind of summarize it uh, here real quickly. Uh, we're doing a series called Trending. Uh, in this series, what we're wrestling with is what's trending in your life. Uh, first week we covered, hey, is it availability or is it selfishness? And then last week, if you were here, we talked about truthfulness versus deception. And I'd recommend, if you missed those, go to, onto our podcast, go to our website, watch them. It's very powerful, because I think this series is very, it's something every day we need to be wrestling with. Which one are we trending in our lives? And today, we're going to be talking about grit versus quit. And so, if you are a teacher, a coach, um, a boss, or you just lead a, a team on some levels... Here's kind of just get your mind going on this. I want you to think of the two employees, the two players, the two students, and you're going, man, I wish I could take that heart and put it with that talent or intelligence. Grit versus quit. So I'm very excited, but just to kind of help us understand what grit is so we're all on the same page, I'm not talking about the food grits. It's actually a characteristic. So let me explain what grit is. Um, it's passion and perseverance for the long term. It's having that stamina, that perseverance to maybe some of you in here, you've had these dreams, you've got this idea of what the future will be, and it's seeing that come to reality. Uh, best way to think of it, grit is more like a marathon, not a sprint. And as I've been studying this, I've noticed that there is a lot of people studying this idea of grit, um, especially this one lady, her name is Angela Lee Duckworth. Now, she has her doctorate, so her doctorate name is Dr. Duckworth. That's awesome. I think that's an awesome name. Um, but what she's been studying about grit over the last years has just been remarkable, and I want to share that with you. But I also want you to know her story so you can understand where this research is coming from. So she was in a huge marketing firm um, doing some big-level stuff there, and at some point in her life, she decided, you know, I want to do something that I've really been passionate about for a long time. So she became a seventh grade math teacher. That is a big change. Um, and so she started that. And that's where she started to know, notice this kind of issue. She's like, man, some of my best students, the ones that are getting A's across the board, are not my brightest students. And some of my brightest students, I would say they're more in the middle of the pack, if not lower pack of my class. And so she's sitting here and she kind of has this issue because she's like, she knows in the school district a lot of things are based on intelligence. How you do in testing is so important. That's how you get scholarships. That's how you get anything for moving forward in college. 
I know this to be true because I remember when I had to take the SCT three times. ACT, actually. I'll try that again. ACT. <laughs> See, you know I didn't do well. <laughs> didn't even write, know the right test to take. This is going a great start. So a ACT, three times. I had to get one more point, got the same score three times. So I missed out on the scholarship that I wanted. And so, and if you have gone to school, you know, like, you've kind of, I remember taking the Iowa basic skills test in Kansas. I don't know why we took the Iowa one, but it was how it worked. And it was all graded on just like, hey, let's see where all of our students are. Let's evaluate teachers based on the intelligence piece of this. And she's looking at this, and she's going, we may be missing it here. There may be something so much more to this. And if you're interested by this, no, she did a whole TED Talk, which is like a huge leadership website. So make sure if you want to go check it out. But her team started doing all this research because she left being a math teacher and became a psychologist so that she could study this. And so she did three things that I just was blown away by this. She went to the West Point Academy, went to the National Spelling Bee, and also studied some rookie teachers who were going to work in the inner city. And so she made them take an IQ test and made them take a grit test that her and her team had come up with. Here were kind of the results that happened. At the elite United States Military Academy at West Point, a cadet's grit score was the best predicator of success in the rigorous summer training program known as Beast Barracks. Listen to this. Grit mattered more than intelligence, leadership ability, or physical fitness. At the Scripps National Spelling Bee, the grittiest contestants were most likely to advance through the finals at least in part because they studied longer, not because they were smarter or better spellers. <laughs> Gonna be a rough sermon, everybody get in. <laughs> in regards to teachers, the ones that made it through their rookie year and stayed through it all, through the ups and downs of being part of an inner city school, they scored the highest on the grit test. So it's fascinating what research is kinda showing. Research is showing that one of the greatest predicators of success is grit. It trumps intelligence and talent. Now, if you're like me, I'm going, yes. Because <laughs> you already know I'm not the most intelligent person. And talent, man, I, I love sports, I loved music growing up, but I never seemed to be like the top guy. I was always the second tier. But as all my coaches, I, I seemed to make the team, and I felt like the only reason I made the team is because I would hustle all the time. And so I looked at that, and I was like, finally, something that I really feel like I'm good at, grit. I can do that well. Now, just to kind of help you guys all kind of figure out, okay, do I have grit, all those kind of things. The test, I took five. So there's like a 12-answer uh, test of this. I took five of them. And so here's the possible answers. Much like you, somewhat like you, not much like you. I'm going to say five statements, and I just want you to answer those. Now, you can answer them in your head, or you can answer them out loud. Get awkward for the people around you, but it's whatever. So, number one, here it is. My interests change from year to year. Most like me, somewhat like me, not much like me. Second one, I often set a goal, but later choose to pursue a different one. Yeah, I do that. Three, I finish whatever I begin. Sometimes. Four, setbacks do not discourage me. Five, I have achieved a goal that took years of work. So think about it. Like, where would you put yourself? How you answered those? 
Would you kind of label yourself as gritty or no? But I hope you're starting to realize this, though, about grit. Grit is about what's happening internally, not externally. I think grit has so much to do with your character, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about God, what you believe about the people around you, all those things, even to the point of why you exist. I think grit plays a part into that. I think grit is very much connected with our faith and what we believe. And just to help you understand that, like there's this idea of faith that you hear a lot in church. Faith is believing what you cannot see. And so there's these moments where maybe you start believing in God, and I think it takes grit to make that relationship great. Or, hey, you get married. You, you have this dream of your marriage being phenomenal, but it takes grit, the work, to get there. I mean, if you live for a while, you know that nothing really comes easy in this world. It takes a lot of grit to get things done. Now, I never thought I'd be using this in an illustration, but the story of the little engine that could. I mean, I literally read this book probably about two or three weeks ago to my daughter and thinking, okay, that's a great little book, that's cute. And then I start studying for this and I'm like, wow, God, that was, that was a good setup there. But if you've read the book or if you hadn't, I mean, it's a simple story. A train breaks down and then all these other locomotives drive by and they're like, oh no, this is too small for us or I'm too big for this, I don't have time for this, whatever the case. But then there's this little blue engine gets connected to the train, and everyone's like, man, I don't know if you can make it. Are you sure you can do this? You can sure? And it's that whole, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And we all remember that part of the story, but I think we forget about the second half where he gets over the hill and gets him to the place, and the whole time he's going down the hill, he's like, I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could. Those moments when in life, when you say, I thought I could, they're powerful. Confirming, wow, God, I didn't think I could do this, but I could. And so today, that's what I want us to be wrestling with. What's trending in your life? Is it grit or is it quit? Now, in your Bibles, if you look it up, you're not going to find the word grit. It's not in your Bibles. I'm sorry. But the one thing that you will find, there's a lot of talk about having faith. And then there's this other idea of having this race to finish. So here's, here's what I want you to do this week. If you've got some time, or I would even say make time, Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. It's in the New Testament, so open up your Bible, turn to the right. Hebrews 11 and 12, read those two chapters. Because the author talks a lot about faith and a lot of stories that I think communicate how important grit is. So that's where we're gonna spend a lot of time today, but I encourage you, go read this for yourself. Start understanding that this matters to God. So first thing, I wanna say two statements and then we're gonna wrestle through a passage in Hebrews 11. So here are the two statements. First, faith requires grit. I think most of us now understand that, like you're right, like you gotta believe in something, but grit is the work to get there. But flip that on the other side, when we quit, it shows our lack of faith. Let that set in for a little. Faith requires grit, but when we quit, it shows our lack of faith. Hebrews 11, six through eight says this, and I hope you begin to see the importance of those statements in this passage. Verse six says this, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him and must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. I would say if you've got a highlighter or a pen, when you go home, or if you got your Bible with you, underline that verse. 
I think it's very critical. Because now in the next many verses, verse seven and eight, I'll give you a little example, but just story after story of people who had faith. So in verse seven it says this, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, he warned them about things that have never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed what God called him when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. I give you those two examples, but the rest of the chapter is just filled with story after story, and if you've grown up in church, you probably have read some of these stories. The story of Moses, story of Joseph, story of David, story of Joshua, story of Daniel. All of them in your Old Testament part of your Bible. And this author is going back and being, remember how powerful it was to see these guys have faith and what they believed in. But I would also have you look at their stories. If you get a chance, go read chapter 11, but then go catch up on some of your Old Testament heroes of the Bible, I would say. Go read the story of Noah. Think about how gritty of a person he was. No one else was building a boat, just him. And the reason was is because God said, hey, it's going to rain. In this area, it did not rain. So all the people are like, what are you doing? What is that thing you're building? I mean, it was pretty much him and his family against the world. Would you have had the grit to get through that, or would you have quit? I mean, think about all these stories. If they don't have grit, we don't have the story of Noah. We don't have the story of Moses and the cool song that goes with it. Oh, let my people go. Uh, like, that, that doesn't happen. Like, like Joseph's story, David's story, all these stories, yes, they believed that God was asking them to do this, but then they also put in the work to get there, to get to that finish line. So that's why I find this passage so amazing, because it's sitting there going, wow, it's so many examples after example after example of this. But then I love what the author does, because then in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, therefore. Now, just a little Bible study tip. Whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, ask yourself, what is it there for? I will be here all week, all right? All right, so Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, just he talked about all the stories from chapter 11, all these men and women who did these amazing things because of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I love what the author just did there. It's like, man, remember all these great stories, and then he points to us and goes, you have a story as well, you have a race. All these guys, Noah, Moses, Joseph, David, God put them into the world and said, hey, here's your race, go run it and I will help you, and I will help you get to the finish line. He looks at all of us and says, hey, you all have a race too. You all have a finish line. Will you have the grit to get there? Because I think grit is getting to that finish line. So let's pause here and ask this question. What is your finish line? What is it? Because I think it's good for all of us to have finish lines. 
I mean, I think most of us in here, hey, I would like to do this with my life. I would like to accomplish this, these kind of things, be successful. Those weren't bad finish lines. But then I want to press in a little bit and say this, but are they just your finish lines or are they God's? Because I would argue God's finish line for your life is so much better than your own. Because I think if you put your own finish lines as the mile marker in your life, as a, that's where I want to be, you'll get to it and you'll be like, well, yeah, I thought of this all by myself. That's where I wanted to be. I knew I could do it. Where God's finish line, you're going to look at it and be like, I don't think that's possible. I don't think I can do that. And the amazing part about God is he's going to push in on you and say, you don't realize how good you can be. You don't realize how amazing your human spirit is. And I'm going to push you to get everything out of your life, and it will be a good thing. So that's why I think we run the danger sometimes of when we go to church or when we start believing God that, man, our life is gonna get easier. No, it doesn't. If anything, I feel like God pushes us beyond our normal, comfortable areas. And so that's why I ask, what is your finish line? And I would also Think about this. There's a guy in the Bible, his name's Paul. He wrote a ton of the New Testament books. And I love the line that he had when he was kind of finishing his life. He was gonna be killed here pretty soon by a certain empire that did not like what he was doing and the fact that he was starting all these churches in all these areas. And he's getting to the end of his life and he said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Those are great, that is just a great line. And I hope someday I will say that at, my, at the end of my life. But the reality is it starts now. So wherever you are in your age, you've gotta be wrestling with what legacy am I living? Because it's gonna start at a very young age and you gotta keep working at it as you get older and older and older. So, there's two things that I think cause us to quit that we usually do these things, and that's why grit usually gets pushed aside. And I wanna go back to that Hebrews eleven six, and I wanna wrestle with this passage a little bit more. So let me read again. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. The first reason I think we quit is because we lose hope. It talks about in that verse, we must believe that God exists. We must have this faith. But many of us in here, and I put myself in this category, we have had moments where we quit because we lost hope. It's those moments where maybe you've made a huge mistake, you've done something just horribly wrong that is ruining relationships, ruining a lot of things, or someone has done something to you and it has just crippled you. And you're down and you're just going, I don't, God, I don't think I could take another step. I'm done. The reality is I know some of you have come in today and you are like, my race is over. I don't think there is a race for me. And I hope you realize there, that is a dangerous place to believe, be because you are starting to believe a lie. Starting to believe a lie that either you're not good enough, either you've got too many failures, or just, I, I can't do this. God, what you're asking me to do is, I, I just can't do it. But I remind you of the promises that God gave us. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things 
he planned for us long ago. Catch that. He had this plan of doing some amazing things through us, all of us in here. And in John 14, 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. God just, Jesus is pointing out, hey, you're going to do the same miracles, same things that I've done here on earth if you're willing to believe in me and not lose hope. I think about, just put yourself in his disciples' shoes. If you go and study the disciples and Jesus' relationship, you'll notice he didn't pick the top 12 religious candidates out there. He picked the most random people ever to assimilate, hey, this group that's gonna start the church. He goes, hey, I need a tax collector. I need a fisherman. It's a weird group, weird bunch. And most of us, if we were just looking at it, we'd go, that doesn't seem like the intelligence or talent is there, but I don't think he was necessarily looking for that. He's looking for who has grit. Who has the willingness to listen to me and then walk it out? God's going, I can always give you intelligence. I can always give you the talent, but do you have the grit to get there? And so that's why you see, and trust me, the three years that they were all together, it was tough for them. There are many moments where they doubted God, doubted what Jesus was saying, and then he leaves them, and they're like, what are we supposed to do? They have these moments of losing hope. But Jesus has to go back to this promise and over and over again. Remember, I've told you, you will do great things. And I would encourage you, for those of you who are at that spot where you're like, I'm done, be reminded of the promises. Be reminded that God loves you, God cares about you, and he's asking you, hey, get back up. You can do this. The other reason we quit it was we quit because we lose focus. There's that part in Hebrews 11:6 where it says we must sincerely seek, which if you look up the New Testament was written in Greek at that time and if you look it up it means this investigative with careful diligence, this idea of just complete focus on whatever you're doing. So sincerely seek after God, that means this complete focus so that we always stay focused on the finish line. But I'll be honest with you, this is really difficult. I think this is the toughest part of running our race. And to give you an example of it, I've done a lot of different workout regiments. I've done insanity. It was insane. <laughs> uh, I've gone to the gym. And right now I'm on this kind of like little kick of like, hey, we're trying out daily burn. And the reason I tell you that is because I've gone through all these different routines and I've always had the same goal, like, hey, I want to get to this spot with my health. And three to six months into it, I'm like, man, this is good, this is great, everything's working. And then it's like that last little bit, it's the last poundage or the last muscle I want to build or whatever the case may be. And then the distractions come in. Those french fries and ice cream and just not working out sounds so amazing. And I'm saying, like, it happens all the time and I feel like those last little bit, that last part is the hardest part to finish. And part of it is, I start losing some pounds or doing whatever, and I just sit there because I get comfortable. I'm like, I can do this. 
And the reality is then I get bored with the workout or I'm not pushing myself and then it's like, oh man, I gotta do something different now. Now put this into the spiritual world a little bit, into your relationship with God. For those of you who have started a relationship, you kind of know what I'm talking about. You walk into this relationship, you're totally blown away. God forgives you. You are experiencing grace for the first time, experiencing true love. You're like, man, there's this God that loves me this much? I can't believe it. And you start walking it out even more, and man, you get baptized, and man, your life is turning around 180 degrees, and family is getting better, you're getting healthier, and then all of a sudden, you're like, this is so good, but then God goes, hey, I want you to go do this, and you're like, no, I'm good. I'm comfortable right here. God, this is, you don't understand how far it's been. This is so comfortable. And God looks right back at you and goes, but that's not your finish line. A life of ease is the arch enemy of grit. And I think too often, I know I'm guilty of this as Christians, as believers, we just get distracted or we just get comfortable and we stop going after the finish line and we just go, I'm good right here. And the danger of that is this, because no, some of you may be thinking, okay, Todd, does it really matter if I quit for a couple days? Weeks, months, years. Is it okay? I mean, I'll get back on it eventually. I'd say this, quitting hinders the commission. And what I mean by commission is that there is this moment where Jesus was talking to the disciples and he gave his final mission to all humanity and especially all those who believe in God. It's known as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus gives it to us, and I want you to simply hear it. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're a believer, I want you to catch this. If you believe in Jesus Christ with all your heart, you just got your finish line. Your finish line is therefore go and make disciples of all nations. No matter where God puts you in life, your goal is when you're in that community, when you're in that place, your goal is to make disciples. That's what he told the disciples right there and he's telling all of us who believe in him, saying your mission, your finish line, your race is all about helping yourself know who Jesus is and helping the people around you. That means your family members, your friends, your community. Because God is all about restoring every single one of us in this world. It's about restoring this whole earth. That's his mission, that's his finish line. And so we get the opportunity to be a part of that. But when we quit, it's not like the mission's done. It's not like God's like, oh, okay, we quit. I guess we better wait. No, he keeps going. But what happens is we miss the opportunity to grow and get healthier and to help the people around us. There are family members, there are friends. If you quit, those people get hurt and they miss out on hearing about God. So that's why I feel like this is so important. And I don't want you guys to miss it. And I know some days it's hard. But I hope you realize how important it is. 
And the beautiful part is, is when there's moments where you're like, I don't know if I could take another step, that's the moment where you get to see God move in a powerful way, because there is a scripture that says this, when you are weak, God is strong. And that's why I would say those weakest moments, you better buckle up and be ready, because I think God is about ready to move in some powerful ways. Now, I've been at this church for the last seven years. And I have seen this come true to where seven years ago, man, we were a little bit smaller. Um, we were only 100 or 150 people. Um, and on top of that, if you would have, even before I got here, if you would have known or heard of Fountain Springs, it did not have a good name. It did not have a good reputation. Church was not well known in the community. And so I remember going here and sitting through a service and being like, well, God, this, this seems interesting. It seems weird, unhealthy on some levels. But God said, there's so much potential here. I was like, all right, Lord. So we came out here, and these last seven years, I can't explain to you with words just how amazing it's been. I mean, to watch our church have some gritty moments, huge moments, I remember when we first decided to do Easter at the Civic Center. We were all scared to death, and some of our church was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think we care too much about the people outside our building. We need to care about the people in here. And the big dilemma that was. But we pushed forward, and we're like, no, this church is about helping others know who Jesus is. We need to get outside our doors. And so we have Easter at the Civic Center, and I would say there are many of you in here saying, thank you for doing that. And I could go through, when we started doing Love Rapid City and now it's become Love Week and now we've started the prison campus, we've done all these things and the growth that's happened, the culture that's changed, so many amazing things. And I point back to God saying, there is potential here. And I gotta be a part of it. I gotta see all of this happen. But church, God's not done. This next year, be ready to be scared for a little bit if you're brand new. We're going to start an East Campus. We're going to start a whole different campus on the other side of town. On top of that, we're going to add space to here so we can reach more people. Some of you are like, God, that is a lot of change. That is going to be difficult. You sure? And I go, let's think about this, though. I'd rather be at a church that's always pushing the boundaries, that's always going, hey, what do we need to do to reach lost people? What do we need to do to go and make disciples? Teaching them what it means to be a disciple. So, I hope you recognize that in order for us to do that, we've gotta be a gritty church. Trust me, this next couple years, it's gonna be hard. Be some tough moments. But I hope and pray we'll go, let's keep pushing through. Let's keep having the perseverance. Because I think it's always dangerous for a church to experience this growth. And then be like, wow, this is so great. Look what we're doing. And then they just settle there. They go, okay, we're good. And then the stories become, hey, remember when we used to do that? Remember when all those things were happening? We got to make sure that we are listening to God and getting to the finish line in all of our lives. But also as a church, we gotta make sure we're doing that as well. 
So here's the thing. Grit gives us the opportunity to see God's faithfulness. For the last seven years, I've seen this church change in an amazing way. And I think some of you have some similar stories. Your life has changed dramatically. And it's because of grit that gave us that opportunity. And I hope everyone in here, everyone listening, gets the opportunity to see how amazing it is when you see God's faithfulness. To see him come through in moments you weren't expecting it. To see him come through in a promise that he made to you. It's remarkable because no one can take you that away and that's the moment where you go, wow, God is real. He is doing some amazing things. So then the question might be, okay, how do we trend grit? Tata, it's so good what you're talking about, but how do I do it? How do I get back up? How do I not get distracted? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. I look at that and say, just to give you a good picture of it, I say Jesus has now become our coach because he's the best example I could think of in regards to grit. He came to this world knowing the Father gave him his mission. Hey, you need to save the world by giving up your life and be the example for humanity. Be the ransom so that sin no longer has victory over them. And so in the 30 years that was here, that was his focus. He could have got distracted. And trust me, there was moments where he wanted to quit. But he had the grit to get to the cross and die and raise from the dead so that we all can have hope. We all can have this savior in our lives. And he goes, can I show you how to do that in yours? That's why he promises, I will be with you always. I will be your coach helping you run your race And so one way to think of it this way is make sure you're always focused on the finish line, not the comfort line. Focus on the finish line, not the comfort line. Waking up every day and being like, God, where's the finish line for me? Help me stay focused on that. Help me not to get comfortable. I want to finish today with kind of sharing a story with you guys um, that I find very powerful. Uh, there's a girl whose name is Kayla, and she was a big track star in North Carolina. And so I want to show you her last race that I think can give us a picture of how we should run our own races. So watch this video. The final challenge came in May at the North Carolina State Championships for Outdoor Track, the final race of Kayla's high school career, the last time she'd run with Coach at the finish line. All right, Shannon. You've given me all you got for four years. What happened? I fell. In the first lap, about um, a little over 100 meters in. And then I fell backwards, and I did like a little flip. What about? It was, it was also a little hard. You don't expect it, and then you're on the ground. You have to get back up, but everybody else is farther ahead. It's, it's hard. I was able to catch back up with the group. Gradually worked her way up, sat with the leaders, brushed it off, nothing ever happened. 
and I sat on a couple girls for a, about three laps, and uh, I wanted to, I guess, pick up the pace. final turn what's going through you um well bianca bishop was in second place and she's got a really great kick and i knew it come on hold her off i, I knew she was gonna catch me if i didn't go then so i just like gave it my all and i sprinted fast as i've ever sprinted in my whole life come on come on that is kayla montgomery of mount Tabor. she will be your girls 3200 meter run champion yeah! We'll take yeah, yeah, yeah! <laughs> I got you. Oh. <laughs> oh. I crossed the line and I was so happy. Help me! Help me! Please! Please! Help me! I couldn't have asked for a better finish or a better end of my senior year. In the final race of her high school career, Kayla Montgomery finished the way she had so many times before, into her coach's arms, and in first place. From Mount Tabor, Kayla Montgomery. Pretty cool story. But what makes this more powerful is about three or four years ago, uh, she was actually a soccer player. She wanted to play soccer, but it... In kind of a fluke deal, she went to the doctors one time and they said, hey, uh, we need to check some things out. Turns out she had MS. And so all, her soccer career was done right then and there. And so she's like, well, what can I do? Because, I mean, she was athletic. She loved doing sports. And um, like, well, you can run. The only problem is, is when you run, your legs are going to get so warm, you're going to lose all feeling in your legs, which some of you are like, well, that would be great. Um, now I don't feel the pain. But that's why you saw her like, but the problem is, is when she gets done running, she can't stand up. That's why you saw the ending to where it's kind of weird, like, is she okay? Like, what's going on? No, that's every time she runs her race. Her coach has to catch her. They have to take her over to the end, and she has to get ice on her legs and drink water, and then all of a sudden that pain that normal, normally all of us would feel, that comes back as her legs cool down. And so I look at that, and I go, wow, what a powerful example. She had every reason to lose hope. Every reason. She got this diagnosis. I God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. But that didn't stop her. She fell in her last race. Could have said, you know what? I'll just be comfortable with third or fourth. And she says, no, I want to finish strong. And I hope you realize that's how I want us, I want myself to run our own race. Our own race called life. To where we pick ourselves back up when the curveball happens or when we make mistakes and go, no, there's a finish line that matters. I'm getting there. God, help me. It's powerful when you think about the human spirit can be broken, it can be damaged, it can be so many things, but it's not done. Because that's how powerful God made us. And he knows that about us. And he says, if you'll lean on me, trust me, even in the weakest moments, you'll be amazed by what I can do through you. 
how powerful you can be. So, where do you need to trend grit in your life? Is it your relationship with God? Is it just maybe even believing in yourself? Is it your marriage? Is it your parenting? Is it your job? Is wherever it might be, is it certain relationships? Where do you need grit in your life? And for some of you, it may start like, man, I need to start picking God's finish line instead of my own every day. And the other part may be like, man, I gotta stop being comfortable. I gotta stop being distracted. I gotta stay focused on that finish line. I say if we work on that every day, you'll be amazed. You'll be just blown away by how God will show us how to have grit in our lives. I hope we can be a church. I hope we can be a group of people that learns to be gritty.